0: Hey, it's Dr. David Phillips. Welcome to this episode of the Phil Files Christian Edition, where we look at the lectionary texts for the upcoming week. Thanks for joining. Hope you enjoy it today. Hey, welcome to the the Phil Files Christian Edition, the lectionary, the week of January 29th, 2023. Hope you're doing well. Today we are going to look at um, the lectionary text, the gospel text from the from the gospel of Matthew. It's a familiar text for you, for, for many of you. It's uh, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. It's the Beatitudes. And uh, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. We'll get into that and then um, just have a, a discussion about what what Matthew and, and through his writing is trying to portray, trying to connect um, to the people and what he's trying to communicate through the text. So, Matthew 5, first 12 verses. One day, as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him and he began to teach them. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. Now, the the point that I want to kind of jump on and hold on to a little bit um in this and this is a lot of what I would uh what I would how I would preach it is this idea of the mountain. Um in, in Matthew, Jesus' presence on a mountain signals a bunch of different things. Uh, It was on a very high mountain That Satan promised to give Jesus The kingdoms of the world If Jesus would just worship him Um, This passage The first two verses He goes up on the mountainside It anticipates The fact that he would would often Withdraw from the crowds To pray by himself That's in uh, chapter 14 I believe It would uh on the mountain he had uh, you know the powerful transfiguration. And then obviously he was crucified on a mountain and then um, and then the the eschatological discourse the toward the, toward the end of Matthew the uh, t- chapters 24 and 25, those occur on the mountain. And, and Jesus is again. He's he's seated and he's addressing his disciples. And then after his resurrection, after his resurrection, he meets um, those remaining eleven disciples on a mountain. And they worship him, and they they get that famous, you know, uh, go ye therefore and teach all nations. And so it's a it's a set apart place where people go to meet God and to receive instruction, teaching and um, and commissioning. Now, obviously the mountain in the Old Testament it has his Old Testament implications as well. Um you know the the obvious connection is between Jesus and Moses, and, and and I'll come back to this in a few minutes. But but Moses, you know, he, he went up on Mount Sinai to receive um, the Ten Commandments, not once but twice. Um, he uh, he saw the Promised Land from the mountain in in Deuteronomy, and then it, the Psalms has. Multitudes of of ideas about uh, and references about the mountain. It was the dwelling place of God. It was the site of Israel's king, um, and then in 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 the prophets, according to e- Ezekiel, God's glory left the temple, and it comes to dwell on a mountain. In Zechariah fourteen. It, it anticipates that, that God is becoming king over all the earth And reigning over the Mount of Olives Reigning from the Mount of Olives And so So you have this This picture in Matthew Of the mountain being a place of where, where people go and meet God, where they go and get their identity, where they go and get their instruction, where they go and get their commissioning. And then you, know, you pull in those Old Testament references, which, which Matthew often does, uh, and, and you get this picture of God reigning on the mountain, of um, the law on the mountain the uh the looking into the future from the mountain and so there's just there's there's so much to think about in terms of the mountain my my personal thought on this is that what we have here is we have as it has lined up in Matthew you have Jesus taking over the message of john the baptist he's preaching the kingdom of heaven the kingdom of god uh he's he's gone through the temptation so now he is this and and passed with flying colors. so he he did what israel could not do and so he is um he is the israel encapsulated in in one being in one person And um, and then you ha- then you have him coming and and sitting down on the mountainside and starting to teach, and that that image that picture you know, this this text sometimes gets paired with the Exodus 19 passage of Jesus going up on uh, uh, Moses going up on the mountain to get the the 10 commandments Exodus 20 19 and 20 to get the the 10 commandments and it, the 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 imagery that's created by Jesus going up on the mountain and then his followers getting these beatitudes is, is, is far too coincidental for me and um, and, and even the number of beatitudes there, there are nine listed but I almost think there are ten when you get down to chapter 12 I mean verse 12 be happy about it be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven this idea of persecution. So there's nine a persecution, but but I think verse verse twelve almost um, hints at this idea of a reward. We'll talk about that. We'll touch on that in a minute, but the 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 way I would teach this way I would preach this is this is because of the imagery from the Old Testament, because of the imagery um, in Matthew this is God handing down a new law the the Ten Commandments were great, they were important they need to be in in your life Israel they, they, I'm not abolishing them I am, I'm not putting them away they are the framework, the guardrails for life in general it doesn't matter if you're a believer in God or not, if you're a Christian or not uh, or, or even if you believe in, in some other deity these those ten commandments have value even for today and Jesus even said, I came not to, I'm not, I didn't come to do away with the law, but to fulfill it. And so, I, I, don't, I don't see this as, as Jesus doing away with the Ten Commandments. I think this is as much Jesus explaining a lot of the Ten Commandments in a real practical nature and practical form he does that all through the sermon on the mount but this is this is Jesus going up on the mountaintop to deliver that new law to start that new law to begin to communicate what it looks like to live in the kingdom of heaven and so everything that that follows explains the law of God that is written not on tablets but in our hearts I I heard a a sermon this week they were talking about you know you had the the Ten Commandments and then you had those uh, you kind of had the the Oral Law or or those 613 613 Individual items that were developed and maintained through through culture and experience, and that the Pharisees used to really um, keep people in bondage. I I, I liked the way they the, the the pastor expressed it that that they were. Um, they were, it's like saying, uh, saying, instead of saying, it was like saying darn instead of the other word. And that they didn't want you to say darn because if you said darn, then eventually you're going to say the other word. And so those 613 laws were kind of like that. I, I don't see that as as gateway these these laws is is anything tied to gateways because those were more "thou shalt nots." These are this is what this is what you do. I, I, I'm reading a book, or I've read a book um, called. Getting It Done It's uh, it, I think it came out last year um, There's the book It's by a, An Israeli A Jewish lady named Islet Fishback She teaches at University of Chicago And um, She talks about Do versus Do not goals And one of the things she says is, do goals, also known as approach goals, because they identify a desirable state that we're approaching, pull us toward eating healthily or playing well to win the game. Do not goals, also known as as avoidance goals, push us away from the state we wish to avoid. These are essentially anti-goals. When we define our goals as approach goals, we move toward those goals. Decreasing the gap between us and our desires. When we define them as avoidance goals, we move away from anti-goals. Widening the gap between us and the outcomes we want to avoid. Just as framing your goal as a means or to concrete. Or as too concrete Is likely to make your goal feel like a chore Framing it as an anti-goal Is likely to do the same And this is kind of the key point Suppression is notoriously hard to do The more you're determined To not think about something The more you'll find yourself Obsessing over it A deliberate attempt to suppress Certain thoughts Makes them more likely to surface and and that's true. I did this experiment uh, on the church I was pastoring recently, and uh, I said, um, I don't want you to think about a zebra. Don't think about a zebra. Don't don't think about their stripes. Don't are, are, don't think about uh, are they are they a, a, a white with black stripes or black with white stripes? Don't think about a zebra. And a couple of times during the message I actually asked, are we still thinking about that zebra? and someone said, I can't get it out of my head, and that's the truth when you are told not to think of something, that too often is what your brain focuses on and, and the Pharisees had created this this idea of thou shalt not don't work don't even don't even touch money on the Sabbath, for instance, because if you don't touch money, then that means that you're not working because if you work uh, or do business, uh, if you do business, on don't do business on the Sabbath. And if you don't touch money, then you're not you're not going to be able to do business. So just don't touch don't touch money. You, you can't spit on the ground because spitting on the ground makes mud and that's work and, and uh, you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. Those kinds of things. So a bunch of thou shalt nots, a bunch of do nots. The problem is if we spend all of our time trying not to do something, then that idea is in our head so often that it becomes so easy to actually do. So the idea is to to change the focus and do have have do goals have do ideas have do thoughts and so Jesus is is not here giving a bunch of thou shalt nots he's not here giving um, you even thinking about the ten commandments they're they're do ideas they're do priorities they're not do not and Jesus is on the mountain and he's got his disciples in a, in in a very rabbinic fashion and he begins to teach them and again based on the imagery from from Exodus 19 based on the 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 imagery throughout the Old Testament in the Psalms and Zechariah and Ezekiel on 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 the 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 the, the temple of god being on a high mountain the king rules on a high mountain and, and then and then you you kind of follow that again into matthew in the matthew's understanding of the mountaintop this is god giving his new law and it's beautiful The mountain place is where we go to meet God, where we go to get instruction directly from God. It's the mountain is, is where we, we have identity change. We talk all the time, the religious lingo is a mountaintop experience. Why? Because that's where you met God. It doesn't have to be a—you don't have to go on a mountain, but but a mountaintop experience. But there is something about being on a mountain, at least for me. I love the mountains. This is a mountaintop experience that Jesus and and His. Twelve apostles and many of those Who were in the early stages of following him Experienced He goes up on top of the mountain And his disciples And and the people following him His followers go up on, on this mountainside With him And there they meet God And not only do they meet God They get The new law And that new law is a series of do's. Not necessarily do nots. But they all start with the Beatitudes. Now, here's what fascinates me about the Beatitudes. Um, There's really no way to group them there's really I shouldn't say there's no way to group them they they there's not an easy way to group them but it is it is it is an expression of how people are to live in the new kingdom of god so you have the new kingdom of god requires a new law now you can kind of group these Uh, the the first three blessings, which are in verses three through through five, you have then you have kind of the middle four, verses six through nine, and the final two, verses 10 to 12. But and and they all, except for the the final two in verses 11 and 12, follow a, a, a similar structure. Jesus identifies the conditions or the behaviors as blessed. And then he provides an explanation for that. So God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn for, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble for they will inherit the whole earth. And and you kind of get that picture. It's God blesses or This is the condition, this is behavior God blesses that condition or behavior And then why? The, the, kind of the result of, of what that looks like uh, And so the, the first three blessings uh, Again in verses 3 through 5 They name those who are, are, are special recipients of God's favor the, the qualities of people that are special recipients of God's favor they're not obviously they're not in positions of power because they're poor and they realize their need for him they' they mourn and they're humble so the, these are not people who are exalted who who are scribes or Pharisees or religious leaders they're not political leaders they're not um, necessarily business leaders per se these are people who have, um, limited positions uh, who, who are not in positions of power they don't have prestige they don't have worldly favor they're people in the margins they're the outcasts they're the people who are broken they are people who, need, who are needy and uh, these are people that often get taken advantage of whether it's economically religiously socially they get taken advantage of and yet God exalts them God says these are people who are blessed and honored the The middle four blessings verses 6 through 9 uh God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice God blesses those who are merciful God blesses those whose hearts are pure God blesses those who work for peace these are practices that embody the hope for kingdom of God this is what, this is what people of God these are the actions and the behaviors of those who, who are in the kingdom of God the kingdom of heaven. They're merciful. They seek justice. They are pure. Have integrity. And they work for peace. They have a single-minded authenticity. And those people shape... Help shape and help um, bring about, partner with God to bring about the kingdom of heaven. They're practices, valid little practices that people of God who are living in the kingdom of heaven exhibit. These are the the kinds of practices that God calls for in the Old Testament. Matthew, and Matthew, Micah six eight. We all you know, what does God demand for you to do? Justice to love, to to love people and to walk humbly with with God. Uh, that's you know one of the lectionary texts for this this week. The other Psalm fifteen two through five expands on that this is what what fruits of people living in the kingdom of God have and that's why the kingdom of God is here is today it's not in the future it's not heaven the kingdom of God is, is alive here on earth the final two blessings speak of um what happens when we adopt those practices and we, we have those qualities? In verses 6 through 9, God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. So God blesses people who are merciful who have an authentic authentic who are authentic authenticity, who seek justice and who strive and work for peace. God blesses those people. Even though you get lied about, mocked, persecuted, treated horribly, God God will bless you. The same for verse twelve. That that there, there's a great reward that that's waiting for you in heaven, because of the persecution that you've undergone and endured. And so this new law gets gets instituted as Jesus begins to describe behavior that that exists in the kingdom of heaven. This is the the nature and character of true disciples. They're they're radical. They're they're contradictory to what the world says. They, uh, They don't make sense in many cases but it's what it's the character and nature of people who follow Jesus and live in the kingdom of heaven and so again the the mountaintop is where people go to meet God to have their their identity formed to have the their instruction met to be able to look into the future and see what God is bringing about to get their commissioning to go into the nations and to understand how they live in a new kingdom. It's a new law for a new kingdom. And it starts... By meaning the king of the kingdom on the mountain. And it's a beautiful story. And it's one that I think can be preached and communicated in a way that changes the, the, the perspective of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So I hope this helps you. I hope this is good for you. And uh, I'd love to know in the comments um, if this uh, makes any sense to you, what your thoughts are on this. And I appreciate and read all of them. Listen, thanks so much. We'll see you next week uh, as we continue on the lectionary texts. Take care.